Right point, Klingberg shoots, blocked, it's out of the zone, it's in the neutral zone, eight seconds left, Barkley Goodrow after it, shoots wide, right of the open net, time ticks down, the Lightning with the Stanley Cup, they have reached the top of the mountain, they are the Stanley Cup champs! Well, you talk about starting off with a bang, and that's how we're going to kick this one off. Welcome, everyone, into This Week in Hockey, along with Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario, and Joey V, the Stanley Cup champions, now reside in South Florida. Hey, how about that, Al? I tell you what, if, if, if you asked me three months ago, and you did ask me, and a lot of people ask me, a lot of people ask you, who would be in the championship and who would win Alex, I, I did I didn't see this coming. I mean, there's no way you could have seen this coming with Tampa Bay winning it at all. No, no, God no. Especially when you talk about like if you were to tell somebody, okay, hey, Tampa's going to be in the finals and they're going to have no Steven Stamkos. I would have said there's no possible way that's going to happen. And on top of it, they're not going to go to Game Six against the Dallas Stars. You know, it's it's amazing because I remember at the beginning a lot of I just I felt like it was going to be an experienced team. Right. So yep. a lot of people had St. Louis or Boston, you know, teams with some grit, with some grime, with some veterans, players that have been through this before, know what it takes, a team that's together. So Blues and Boston were up there. And then and then as the tournament started, I remember we, we, we discussed on the thing it was week two of when all this was kind of going on. Mm-hmm. We were kind of speculating, well, maybe is it a young team? Is it a team that's the opposite? Is it a team like Edmonton or Toronto with no pressure, kids playing video games all day long in the in the hotel rooms and kind of living the, the bachelor life? Would it be a team like that? And then uh, now that it's all said and done, Alex, you know, what I missed and what was obviously very important was that uh, desperation was going to play a huge role. Uh, desperate teams. You look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. I, I consider them a desperate team because – they're in this window, and they have disappointed for three, four years in a row where they should have gone further than they did, and they lost. They got swept in the first round after having the number one seed last year by Columbus. A lot of disappointment, and that desperation was starting to really creep up on Tampa because that window was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. With the amount of talent and the goaltending they had, they needed to win soon. So that was a desperate team, number one. And then, of course, the Dallas Stars. I missed this as well. Talk about desperation – one bounce away from the Western Conference final last year mm-hmm. and, and the completely disappointing offseason. And then you have uh, Pavelski and Corey Perry you add in the offseason. The incredible youth uh, of that's a Dallas def- the team. Um, disappointment and desperation just creeps all oozes throughout that Dallas team as well with the veterans. You want to see get another cup with Perry and a first cup for Pavelski. So to me, what I missed now that it's all said and done was that these playoffs, the most important thing was that desperation. Which team, what organization were desperate, the most desperate of all? And, of course, it was the teams that were um, on the brink, that were so close like Tampa for so long, and and much like that is Dallas. You know, it's so crazy to me, Joe, is if you look back on the last three Stanley Cup champions, Tampa Bay, St. Louis, and the Washington Capitals, that's three teams that they were days away from blowing up that roster. I mean, you go back and look at the Capitals, a team that really could never get over the hump. They bring in Barry Trotz, who gets them over that hump, but that was a team that Nicholas Backstrom's name was brought up to possibly be traded away, or possibly an Alex 
Alex Ovechkin going somewhere else. And they stuck with it and they find the trophy. The Blues are the exact same way. In Tampa Bay, you know, Steve Eiserman's fingerprints are all over this Tampa Bay Lightning team. But Julian Brisebois was a couple of days away, I'm sure, from an offseason of saying, we got to do something drastic. We got to trade away a Stamkos or a Hedman or a Kucherov. Probably not Kucherov for how many goals and points this guy puts up. But a team that got swept in the first round, to stick with that roster, I think that's the most impressive part to me of how they got to this point. Well, and, and the people that they added, um, a couple things. One thing you really you really said there, Alex, I'm really glad you did. Uh, Steve Eiserman's fingerprint yeah. before I go on to the roster. That That's really important here. You know, I mean, you look at what Stevie did. Stevie put together a team of competitors. You know, I, I sit next to Darren Pang on the planes. Me and him are like two peas in a pot on the road. I, I'm literally picking Darren Pang's brain all the time. You look very similar, that- too. <laughs> you know, but, you know, <laughs> I, the truth The truth be told, though, with, between Darren and Curbs and John Kelly, I, I don't know of a team that is, is a group of guys that love hockey as much as those guys uh, that care a lot about the game, but, but then have a lot of knowledge and then personnel across the league that have knowledge. Yeah. And for Darren Pang, uh, Stevie Wise, uh, his, one of his best friends. And, you know, he is constantly telling me how Stevie Y builds teams. And this is what he did in Tampa. You know, one of the things that he always will say when he's looking at a young player, this is Steve Eiserman, whenever he's looking at a young kid playing juniors or playing college, uh, yes, you look at the skill level. Yes, you look at the hockey IQ. But the one thing that separates Steve Eiserman from every other general manager, I think in the National Hockey League, and this is according to Darren Pang, is the fact that when he's looking at a player, Aside from all the intangibles, like I just mentioned, he wants to see one thing during the game. He wants to see when the puck's in the corner, does that player come out with the puck? If he's a forward and he's battling the offensive zone in the corner, does he come out with the puck? If he's a D-man and he's working in the defensive corner, does he pop the forward's hips? Does he create separation? Does he get the puck and does he go? Come out of the corner with the puck. Sounds simple, but but to Steve Eiserman, that shows one thing. It shows a kid's competitiveness. How, how badly will he compete for a puck? And that is something that CBY has done significantly different, uh, I think, across the board than any other general manager. He wants kids that compete, that are quick, and that just have a lot of fire. And when you look at this Tampa Bay roster, a roster that he put together for the most part, you're looking at, you're looking at Alex Kalorn, a competitor, Tyler Johnson. He's a short little water bug, but he does not stop. A Yanni Gord. Um, you know, Blake Coleman was added this past year, but he kind of reminds you a little bit of that. Braden Point. I mean, look at Braden Point. Yeah. This kid is a superstar. This kid is a beyond a star. I mean, I, I cannot believe he is the most undercover player. With another two more years, he is going to be at the very top. Uh, so, Stevie, why I put this team together? I mean, it's a really good point um, on your end in the fact that the GM did not blow this thing up, but he even added added some questionable guys that you kind of had to scratch your head on a couple times. I, I bet, I bet adding Pat Maroon wasn't the most popular decision last offseason. Why? Because he's big and he's slow, and you're adding him to a very fast team. Yes, he's got those great intangibles, and yes, he can get under the skin of the team uh, that he's playing, but also at the same time, you're not adding a lot of speed to this team, but you were adding grit. That probably was a little bit of a question mark. How about Zach Bogosian? Zach Bogosian, Luke Shen, uh, Braden Coburn's been there a while. You have these two veteran defensemen in Shen and and Bogosian that you add – that have been bounced around the league all over the place. They've always been that seventh, eighth defenseman. 
you know, but they bring those veterans in. They bring guys that are desperate, that really want a trophy. Uh, speaking of, big shout out to Luke Shen. His brother wins it last year. How about a, you know, yeah. a party for the Shen family uh, <laughs> coming up here? It's been a crazy, crazy year and a half. Uh, but 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 the players that they stuck with, Alex, you're right. Uh, the players that they added. Um, but at the the majority of it to me is this is a team that Stevie Y built. And I know people in, in Detroit are loving the fact that Tampa won because now they got even higher hopes for this young Detroit team that's going to be up and coming here in a few years. Yeah, well, and they should with what Steve Eiserman has done with Tampa Bay and now the ability to do that with Detroit, which is going to take some time, but that's the time that you kind of are willing to accept if you can go on a run like Tampa has been on. So let's look at the other side, Joe. And again, I think you made a great point, too, that we all need to make sure that we acknowledge. Shout out to, of course, the hometown hero, Pat Maroon, winning a Stanley Cup. John Cooper, who's got the St. Louis ties uh, from his time coaching the Bandits. And then, of course, uh, former Blue Kevin Shattenkirk picking up that Stanley Cup championship as well. But the Dallas Stars side, Joe, a team that I'm sure impressed a lot of people. Nobody expected them to be at that point. A team that does – it has superstars, but it's a team that won from their team play. When you talk about Hudobin and Corey Perry and Joe Pavelski – but watching Jamie's Ben's post-game press conference after that loss, I don't know if you saw it, Joe, but he, he, of course, really couldn't answer because he was holding back tears. That was difficult for me to watch. And I'm not a Jamie Ben fan, but God, watching the emotions from that, that was difficult. You know, a, a lot of emotions across the board uh, on both ends of this thing, Alex. I think, I think it's natural to feel that way. You know, and, and I'm going to start there on the negative side before I jump to the positive emotions. And I like to hear what you thought because I'm sure you saw this video too. But Jamie Ben to start it out, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, you talk about a competitor. You talk about a guy that was a wraparound bounce away from the conference final, which they would have definitely gotten through San Jose, and they would have given Boston a hell of a series last year. Mm-hmm. When you're that close, right, and then given this season, the pandemic, uh, all the ups and the downs, uh, you get to the bubble. You lose your starting goaltender. You lose Ben Bishop, right? Um, he's supposed to be your Vasilevsky. He's supposed to be your guy. And then you got Hodobin. And this team just continued to battle and, and continued to grit their way through it. Uh, Jamie Ben showed up to play. I mean, he, he he wasn't a spectator. He wasn't just a captain. He didn't become invisible like he hasn't sometimes in the postseason. He showed up to play. You look at players like Pavelski, who's never won it, um, who's pushing 40. You look at the Corey Perrys, who battled his ass off throughout the entire thing. Uh, you look at the young core, and you look at how they defended in front of Hudobin. Uh, the Dallas Stars have so much to be proud of. Oh, and don't forget the fact they lost their head coach halfway through the season. Yeah. Um, and, they're, and they're with Rick Bonus, who was an interim head coach at the time. I think he actually flipped to the, the regular as the head coach. But given all the adversity, I mean, that's what Jamie Ben was feeling. Uh, you, you can tell on that podium. The emotions, personally, being away from uh, the girlfriends and the family and the moms and the dads and the friends. And then, of course, to come this close again, I I would call this two years in a row coming very close to a championship. Uh, Very easy to see why the emotions came uh, on the bad side. But how about this, Alex? Did you see the Tampa Bay Lightning's plane 
when they landed in yeah. Tampa and all the family. Wasn't that awesome? That was awesome. And then the Dallas Stars as well. There were fans in Dallas on the fence applauding and cheering for the guys as they came off that airplane. That, along with the handshake line and along with the fact that we saw a cup crowned, which we'll talk about that a little bit later tonight here on This Week in Hockey, that was some of the coolest things from a Stanley Cup championship that you can get. But yes, seeing those fans celebrate and seeing the families reunite with their husbands was something that, uh, you know, it really does give you goosebumps thinking about how 60 plus days stuck in a bubble got you to that point to celebrate with their families. So congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, going to be an interesting offseason, which we'll talk about that. We're going to talk with Hal Gill. A lot of hockey conversation coming your way on this week in hockey. When we come back, I want to talk about, Joe, how the NHL got this done. Something Gary Bettman said at the end of that Stanley Cup championship which could pose dividends for his up, uh, upcoming season and what this offseason is going to look like. So let's touch on that next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Off and running here on a Tuesday. No, it's a Wednesday night. How about that one, Joe? Throwing me a little curveball there as we got postseason baseball action. So we got bumped to Wednesday night, which is okay. We can do Wednesday nights here on This Week in Hockey, but we're here with you until 7.30 tonight. And then we got some NBA Finals basketball for you. You got the Lakers and um, Miami Heat game one, which starts at about uh, 7.30 tonight. And Joe, let's start there because we just talked about Tampa Bay winning it and Dallas unfortunately falling short, but it was something that nobody expected to see it get to this point. A conclusion, handing out a Stanley Cup champion. Gary Bettman, I thought, really gave a great speech before the Cup was handed out to Tampa Bay, just talking about how, you know, the the the, the, the teams missed their fans and they need the fans back, but it was something that every single person accomplished, and it really felt like Gary Bettman was applauding every single player that sacrificed so much going to these bubbles so that they can hand out a Stanley Cup champion. Yeah, man. I tell you what, Alex, it, it gave me goosebumps uh, from the celebration to the the pressers after to seeing the families uh, upon arriving in their cities with Tampa and Dallas, seeing the kids, the hugs. And then I'm going to go a step further. I never thought I'd say this, but Gary Bettman almost had me moved to tears. Yeah, I never, ever in my lifetime thought that his speech before giving out a Stanley Cup <laughs> would ever move me to tears because uh, I couldn't get past all the booze, right. uh, whether whatever building he was in. But but this but this did it. You know, to me, to me, I, I actually think this is a huge turn of the tide for Gary Bettman and for how he is looked upon in this league. And and I'm gonna go a step further to say that I don't know if he gets booed anymore i mean we'll see what happens i think five or six years when the next cba is up assuming he's still the commissioner but at this point what gary bettman and bill daly and these players have done the way they have come together it is like nothing sports i think has ever seen as far as how they have become so compatible uh so cordial so um understanding of the situation and understanding both sides i mean you talk about healing you talk about what this world and this country is going i mean Look at the NHL. Look, look what these guys did on a very small scale. I understand the world uh, has a lot bigger problems, but when you can have a players and an owners, uh, two groups of people come together with a, a commissioner that is very hated and, and understandably so for a lot of reasons, and they, that group can come together and they can put a plan together in May, in June, 
and have different phases and can figure out how they're going to make it work. Pick two cities that were terrific picks, by the way, absolutely terrific. If they were not picked the way they were, I don't know if this thing happens. And then once these players got there, I mean, from a safety standpoint, from an organization standpoint, everything was done so professionally, so cleanly. And, and, and I just, if I'm any sport fan, if I'm a baseball player, if I'm a soccer fanatic across the ocean, I'm looking at what the NHL did because there are so many great things you can learn from what just happened on so many different levels. Alex, I was a believer from the get-go that it will get done once they get to that bubble because these players, these kids, they are professionals. They, they, they're not animals. They want to run to bars. Um, this, this is a new wave of athletes. These guys take their profession very seriously. And I knew once they got there, it would happen. Gosh, I am just so proud to be a part of this sport, given what Gary Bettman, these players, the owners, the staff, every organization, every team, and every fan has done to see the Tampa Bay Lightning now the Stanley Cup champions. Yeah, they were trendsetters, Joe. I mean, that's the, the, only, the only thing I think you can say about this when it comes to the NHL. They set the trend for returning to play, which is interesting because the NBA set the trend for shutting things down once the pandemic truly hit. And look, the NBA talked about bubble play just as much as the NHL talked about bubble play at the beginning, but a lot of people questioned the NBA, and they did have a couple of issues at the beginning, but credit to the NBA, they finished this thing out. But for what the NHL did of of every single week coming out with saying zero positive tests and these players are healthy to be able to have these players hugging and celebrating and handshaking that shows the MLB the NFL college athletes that this can be accomplished if you are responsible enough and if you put the right criteria together so I would agree with you. I think this sets a new dynamic to what Gary Bettman truly is with the NHL. And, oh, on top of it, they didn't just return to play. They guaranteed the NHL will be playing for the next three to five years with their CBA agreement before the bubble even started. So NHL were trendsetters in my eyes, Joe, and I think that's a really huge thing moving forward. But Gary Bettman said something when he was handing out that trophy, which I think is going to be very effective on what happens next season. He talked about how the fans were missed, how the fans were needed in the stadiums. And I truly believe, and we'll get to this a little bit later tonight because the NHL is tossing the idea of a bubble for next season. But I truly believe the NHL is going to delay the return to play for however long they need to so that they can get fans back in the stands. And I truly believe Gary Bettman was trying to entice fans saying, like, look, you have to be back in the buildings for us because you are pivotal into what we do moving forward. I mean, it's everything. I've, I've never taken advantage of something in this sport like I've, I've, I've looked at the fans I mean, I, I was a, a, a player, I was a spectator, I was a broadcaster who thought fans were just people that just could watch in person, but they could watch at home, but they just wanted to have the entertainment to sit in a seat and eat some popcorn and drink some beers. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't see it any more than that. And I don't think a lot of, I definitely don't think a lot of players did. And I, don't, I definitely don't think a lot of fans looked at each other like an essential part of this whole process until now. I mean, this was the ultimate take-for-granted scenario for me, Alex, because you, you look at that game, even when Steven Stamkos raised the cup and there's no people in that building, as much as you loved it, you still kind of felt like a pit. It felt empty inside. Someone should be there. And one of the, and one of the greatest things I love about this sport is 
Um, you, you look at the last, I think, four, maybe three or four, four to five champions, I want to say. Anyway, it's a lot. <laughs> look at look at the team that wins. It, it's the away team a lot lately, uh, for whatever reason. Uh, you look at the Blues in Boston. You look at the Capitals in Vegas. Uh, the Pittsburgh one uh, in San Jose. Uh, but but fans stick around um, at the Shark Tank in San Jose. Yeah, white and teal jerseys everywhere. But when Sidney Crosby raised that cup, you couldn't find an empty seat. Mm-hmm. I mean, even last year when Petro raised the cup, yeah, I, I didn't. I, I saw just Bruins fans. They 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 respect the champion so much even though they're they're pissed at their home team lost they respect the process and they respect that trophy and what it takes to win so much that they stick around and they have to just witness it and, and that's something that i missed um, a couple of days ago when steven stamkos uh, raised that cup uh, but to hear gary bettman uh it just reemphasize the importance of fans um i, I really feel as if uh, any kind of bubble situation that is going to be the absolute last resort. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens, Alex. But to me, uh, players, given what they just went through, I, I don't think you can ask uh, a Jamie Benn or an Alexiak or a Steven Samkos or even you know even even like a Paul Stastny in Vegas to do something similar where we do a divisional play with just the players. I don't know, given what just happened, if the players are going to be very warm to that. Now, it could be a last resort. It could be like, hey, listen, it's this or nothing, and then we're going to start losing money again, maybe. But that is going to be the very last resort. They have to figure out how to get fans in the building. They're off to a good start. Football is doing a great job of it. We'll see what baseball can do here in the postseason, and anything can happen. Soccer is doing a tremendous job of it as well. I'm hoping that another three, four months of progress leading up to January, possibly February, can we get people in that building responsibly, even if it's a quarter percent, even if it's 50 percent, whatever it is? Yes, you're still going to lose the money, but the integrity, that 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 love, that fanship, that respect is, is going to be there. And that's what these players need. Couldn't agree more with you, Joe. Now, let's talk about what this offseason is going to look like, because we it's still uncertain. And we'll talk about the bubble and the restart uh, a little bit later on in hour number two of this week in hockey. But. Uh, an off season like no other, uh, because you're going to see a lot of players out there available. You're going to see teams being very hesitant. But for how fast this has to move, Joe, and I read something yesterday saying that when Brisebois got off the plane in Tampa yesterday, he immediately went to the office because they have to start figuring out their salary cap situation for next season. With you got the draft coming up in what f- six days from now, you have free agency opening up in nine days from now. And if the season starts in December, January, this is going to be a rapid offseason unlike any other for a lot of these general managers. It probably is probably be a good thing to Alex. So? You know, I think for some for some GMs, maybe it's like less thinking hmm. and, and more just like let's just react, let's just do. You know, but uh, I guess the one good news for the St. Louis Blues is with being ousted early against Vancouver, they've had more time to kind of plan these things. Right. Um, but but the, but the one thing I'm going to be interested in, and I'm looking forward to talking to Doug Armstrong about this, is with losing Bill Armstrong, how does that affect or how does that affect the the draft, yeah. your prospects? Um I'm assuming with all the, the scouts, uh, they have a pool of players. I think they're going to be okay this year, but who kind of steps in and fills that role? Because Bill was terrific at it. So with the draft six days away, like you just mentioned, um, not having a Bill Armstrong, that's going to be huge because he's brought some really terrific talent and young men to this organization. Uh, that's number one. And then, of course, the one that just keeps looming through the air, which I'm sure Doug Armstrong is going to be happy one way or another, mm-hmm. is just with Alex Petrangelo. And and I have not heard um, anything um, 
as of late uh, from when we talked last week. Alex, uh, it, it, it seems like there's so much hearsay and so much being thrown out in the public right now. I think maybe for just uh, leverage reasons. I hate to go one way or another, um, but that that is something that it continues to probably be on Doug Armstrong's mind, as well as every other Blues fan. Yeah, without question. And let's talk about this Alex Petrangelo thing with a defenseman who played in the NHL for a long time and somebody who just saw somebody comparable to Alex Petrangelo sign a long-term extension. Hal Gill, the former NHL defenseman, the analyst on the Nashville Predators broadcast side, he joins us next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Wednesday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you, of course, this week in hockey and always great guests that join us throughout the weeks. But Joey V once again went into the uh, superstar contact list and brought in the former NHL defenseman and now the broadcaster with Pete Weber on the Nashville Predators radio side. He is Hal Gill. How, how are you tonight, buddy? I'm doing great. Nice to, uh, nice to join you guys. Talk a little hockey. Well, Alex, I don't know if there's uh, two bigger comedians in the radio business. I used to think me and Curbs had a little bit of an edge, uh, but I'll start there, Hal. Pete Weber, I mean, what, what is it like uh, doing games alongside with him? He is He's a character and a half, isn't he? He's the best. Uh, he's been, uh, he's, for me especially, you know, coming into it, uh, not really knowing what I was doing, just jumping into radio and, and uh, everything he's done for me is, has been all about just playing it cool. Yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, it's going to be great. We're going we're gonna to just talk hockey. It's not a big deal. And, and I tell you, he can lighten the mood pretty quick uh, and, and, make you, and make you laugh. Uh, and we laugh a lot. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I will tell you, it makes, it makes my job pretty enjoyable just sitting there. And I don't know anyone that knows – I, I shouldn't say uh, hockey, but all sports. The, he, he's got a Rolodex of, in his brain of old footage, old games, and he can pull it up on his phone. Uh, truly a special guy. Well, and I got to say this too, Hal and Joe. You can talk about this because you know the I've, I see on social media how much fun Hal and Chris Mason have when they are on the road. And honestly, Hal, we got to start to see if Pete Weber can get into this bag chucking scenario that you guys do every every road trip. Oh, he's in. He's in. He's in. He just he chucks his bags for different things these days. You know, it's uh, yeah. But. We have, we, I tell you what, we have a good time. We go on the road, and I, I, I miss it. I miss going out. Uh, we have a good broadcast crew, and, and uh, when we get together, we like to have some fun, and uh, we can go here as much as possible. Al, Hal, that's got to be what has disturbed you most, probably, as well, as well as me. I think, you know, you have young kids. I have young kids. Not being able to go back out on the road after the pandemic hit was something that kind of, uh, disrupted us a little bit, but you know the players had to deal with it, right? They go to this bubble, they go to Edmonton and Toronto, and and listen, we saw Stanley Cup champion in the Tampa Bay Lightning, close to where you're at down south. Uh, you 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 put that trophy over your head. You, you knew, knew what it took when you're with Pittsburgh to win that thing. Um, now, when Steven Stamkos did that, do you think that he felt what you felt? Did he feel something more given what these players had to go through, or or did it lose some of that specialness because of the fans? I mean. Just put me through, I guess, your frame frame of mind seeing Stamkos raise that cup. Uh, you being a player that knew exactly what it what it took to do. You know what? It's it's funny. I've talked to people about this. 
and when I look at when I saw Stamkos raise it, I I had the same feeling I always have. I don't think raising the Stanley Cup is about um, anything more than like your your whole life's work, right? I mean, you're going, you're doing everything you can since you're a kid playing on the driveway, pretending that you're winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, you go through all the ranks and you get to the NHL. I mean, that's your ultimate goal, right? So I, I think anytime someone raises the cup, even if you, you're just a kid and you see it somewhere and so you're lucky enough to touch it, I feel like all those dreams kind of run through the cup. So I, I don't think anything can take away from that, whether it's in a bubble or a regular season, I, I still think it's the same magic, and, and that's what makes it awesome is it's not about that moment. It's it's about everything that led up to it. And, you know, like in order to win it, it, it was harder this year than it ever has been, I, I think. I, I mean, and I will add, I think it's a lot harder to lose it this year. I My heart broke for Dallas. You go through all of that. And you sit there and, and watch the other team pick up the cup and watch Tampa pick it up. It's got to be devastating because it, it, it is a huge sacrifice, and especially this year. Yeah, Hal, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Joey and I just talked about it. I'm sure you saw it, but Jamie Ben's post game press conference after that loss that was <laughs> that was heartbreaking for me because I I mean this is a guy who with his team spent sixty plus days in the same hotel in the same city, which it's come out now that Edmonton was a lot more difficult of a bubble than Toronto. So you got to feel even worse for guys on the Dallas Stars side that were so close, but unfortunately unable to kind of get over that hump yeah i i just can't imagine going through that uh and jamie ben's yeah i, I feel like he wanted to say something and then it was just like i i can't even stomach saying it you know sometimes you're in that situation and we've all been there where you lose and you want to be gracious a gracious loser and and it just doesn't come out and i think he caught himself a few times and yeah, my my heart broke for him. I, I've been there, and it's a, a gut wrenching feeling to go that far, especially through the bubble. It's got to be even worse. So yeah, what a great run they had, though. I mean, in the end, I think we can all look back and say those guys put on a pretty good show for us. Hal, a team that did not go on a good run, which you know kind of disturbed <laughs> me because I had them going. Is your team again? We're talking with Hal Gill. Uh, he does the radio uh, color. I with Pete Weber, uh, they do a fantastic job covering the Predators. Uh, Hal, I, I I was proud. I was the underdog pick. I I, I said Nashville Predators. I think they're going to do something special here. And and to me, the biggest reason I had John Hines and Wilkesbury. I know you're part of the Pittsburgh organization for a while. I was a I'm a huge John Hines fan. I think he's one of the greatest motivators of the game that we still have. Um, for you and your perspective and given the, what you saw about this team with the goaltending to the two guys going back and forth, the new coach, what is it about this Nashville Predators team? You know, just signing Roman Yossi again to a great deal earlier this year in October. What is it about this Predators team? They just can't seem to get over that hump. You know, they made it to the Stanley Cup final a few years back, losing to Pittsburgh. Um, but aside from that, when when is this Nashville team going to make everyone a believer just like me? It, it is so tough. I, I I wish I could. I mean, there's a lot of things that I look at and I go, this team is good. And then uh, 
you know, I, I watch him play again and I go, yeah, they're just missing something. And it seems like in the playoffs, it's what they're missing is reared its head. And I think what you saw from, from Dallas and the reason why they were good is because they had guys like Pavelski that, that get into Corey Perry, that get into the dirty areas and, and can change a game. And I think that's kind of what the Preds are missing. You know, it, they have a good, skilled top six that didn't have a great year. And, you know, we're kind of hoping that they'd come across. I thought Forsberg played well in the playoffs and Johansson came around and Arvidsson looked better. But, it, you know, it's not enough. You need you need someone to, to have some jam and get to the front of the net and create something uh, when, when the chips are down. And they just didn't have that. And so I think David Poyle's got his work cut out for him. He's got a in a year where you can't spend as much on the cap, uh, the flag, I just think it's going to be tough to go out and get what you want. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see the, the little shift and changes that the Preds travel together because they do have a good group that has been together for a while. They just haven't produced. After 2017, they just, they just can't get it done. So they need that little difference maker and I think that's a strong power forward that can stir it up a little bit. I know every team is looking for that, but I think the Preds need that desperately. Yeah, well, and with Nashville, Hal, you kind of mentioned it, the, the task that David Poyle has. And I'm curious just your thoughts on what this offseason is going to look like in the NHL, not just in Nashville, but everywhere. <laughs> I mean, we've heard teams like the Arizona Coyotes talking about shedding salary. We see Pittsburgh trying to move pieces around. Vegas has a big salary cap situation. I mean, this is going to be one strange offseason with the amount of names that could be available. Yeah, it's it's going to be bizarre. And it. And and don't forget, we're cramming it all in. It's, you know, right. it's like, hey, let's let's do a quick draft. Hey, let's do a you know, like you, you're going to have whiplash as a as a GM. <laughs> you got to you got to trade a guy and trade up in the draft and trade down in the draft, and then next thing you, you got to go get a free agent. Uh, I, I you know, and when is training camp going to start? And I mean, ultimately, it, it comes down to money, and I feel like ownership has to step in at some time and say, hey, listen. Um, you know, we're not, we're not just going to throw money around because we're not going to be making any money just yet, and we lost a lot of money last year. So, uh, it, you know, buyouts are in effect. Uh, I still – I know the Preds are working hard to figure out whether they want to buy out Kyle Turris or if they want to keep him. Uh, another question that they have that's going to affect how they do everything as far as free agency, and, and uh, I, I just think there's so many questions – uh, that GMs have to balance. It's hard to predict. You know, I, I, I'd like to say they'd go after someone in free agency, but there may be a trade on the table to dump salary if someone else wants to take it. So uh, there's so much going on. Uh, I think this is going to be the year that you have to figure out. Uh, you're going to find out who the best GMs are, who can who can maneuver. And, and don't forget Seattle coming in next year. So you might be really high on a player and you're going to lose them. Uh, to to an extension draft, so just another wrench that you throw into it. I, I just think it's going to be so hard to balance all this. How the the last thing I got for you uh, with Alex Petrangelo um, possibly going to hit the market, which it just does not, as you know, is it? Uh, it doesn't happen all that often. 
uh, a player of his caliber hitting the free agency market. Uh, looks like we're a week or so away from that possibly happening. Uh, a lot of Blues fans here are on their toes about it. Um, I guess the, the one argument that I hear all the time, which I think Doug Armstrong, our GM here, battles with is how can you, how can you basically be uh, so – uh, give a player so much term and so much money. Uh, if you do that, how does that affect the entire squad? You look at what happened there in Seabrook in Chicago. Um, you look at, you know, possibly Ryan Suter's situation with another five years left on his deal with his play starting to go downhill. Now look at Roman Yossi. You know, he signs that terrific eight-year deal, I think $9 million around that range uh, back last year. Do you see that as a problem looking at a player like Roman Yossi or would you uh, advise with caution about a GM to do that? Or can you see it actually working where you can give an Alex Petrangelo an eight year by $9 million deal and you can still be um, a factor even for a defenseman like him when he turns 35 and 36 and 37? I, I, I just think it's such a hard, and again, balancing act for the, for the GMs because these guys are going to get that. It's so hard to get a top two. I mean, you, you, we're talking about Roman Yossi and Petrangelo. Those are two two of the best defensemen in the game, and they don't just keep coming by. You know, if you can grab one, you don't let them go. And I think that's well, that's what the Preds did in locking up uh, Yossi. And I, I, it still kind of blows my mind that they can't make a deal work with Petrangelo. I, I just I don't see him. I, I don't see how you can let a defenseman of his caliber go, uh, but there is some truth to it. You know, I mean, these guys want huge contracts, and they're going to make make it for long term. Um, you know, this is every CBA we go through. I feel like the the GMs make rules, and they want owners want rules, and and then they go ahead and find a way to break them and and get around the rules to make sure that they can sign the best players and sign them up long term. So. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I, I just, I still, and I, you guys know more about it than I ever would. I just can't see Petrangelo being let go. I, I just don't know how you can lose a, a player of his caliber and, and just let him walk away. Yeah, I think everyone in St. Louis couldn't agree more with that, Hal, and that's why it's such an intriguing offseason, not just for St. Louis, but for the NHL of what's going to happen. Hal Gilman, it's great to catch up with you. Uh, I hope you're enjoying the offseason. I hope you're staying fa- is safe and the family is safe. Uh, we look forward to hearing you and uh, Pete Weber on the call for Nashville uh, coming up this next season. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I, uh, yeah, you guys stay safe, take care of each other, and uh Man, I hope we can get back on the road and and see you guys up there in St. Louis soon. That's awesome. Once again, it's Hal Gill, broadcaster on the Nashville Predators radio side. We'll take a break and come back and talk about another option in the offseason for the Blues. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. This Week in Hockey continues next here on 101 ESPN. Final time this hour here on This Week in Hockey. Still another half hour to go because it's 7.30 tonight. We start the coverage of Game 1 of the NBA Finals between the Lakers and Heat. A big thank you to Hal Gill for hopping on with us. And if you missed that interview or if you missed any part of the show, Show, you can check it out 101ESPN.com or wherever you get your podcasts on This Week in Hockey. You can find that and listen through to all of our programming all season long. So, Joe, I want to talk about another offseason opportunity for the Blues, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. 
the name Bobby Ryan, his name has come up. Jeremy Rutherford wrote an article in The Athletic talking about how there could be mutual interest between these two teams. And if you don't know, Bobby Ryan was bought out by the Ottawa Senators a couple of days ago, which makes him a free agent. He's due $11 million from Ottawa over the next couple of years. But being a free agent, I see this, Joe, as something like the Dallas Stars just did with Corey Perry, where you can get somebody who might be on the tail end of his career, 33 years old Bobby Ryan is, somebody who's not looking for a lot of money because he's owed a lot of money from his teams, but a player that wants to go to a contender. And I think Bobby Ryan matches what the Blues need with the loss of Vladimir Tarasenko, and I think the Blues match what Bobby Ryan's looking for in terms of a smaller market to just go and play hockey, a team that's a contender, and also somebody who has gone through what Bobby Ryan went through in the alcohol abuse with Jim Montgomery. Well, you know, you bring up a good point. I mean, I think Doug Armstrong and the Blues and Tom Stillman have been, of course, looking at what's happened in the past. Uh, when you look at uh, someone who deals with these kind of issues, uh, the Blues are great about giving second chances, second opportunities. And and I think they like an underdog story. And this is why I think that this Bobby Ryan one could be interesting. You know, listen, I'm not going to call the Ryan O'Reilly thing an underdog situation, but let, let's, let's be fair here. With Ryan O'Reilly's comments upon leaving Buffalo uh, about losing interest in the sport of hockey, there weren't many GMs out there, Alex, that would want to take a risk with a player like that, with yeah. an attitude like that, which was which was due a huge bonus come July 1 when Jason Botterill, the GM for Buffalo, ended up getting rid of, of Ryan O'Reilly. So to me, this is an organization that kind of looks for these opportunities, so why not? Uh, Bobby Ryan you know, was a, a terrific, terrific young talent coming into the league with Anaheim. Uh, since then, from going to Ottawa, he's been – He's been in Ottawa. I guess I'll just leave it at that. Um, you can't look too deep into his points. You can't look too deep into um, how productive he's been in Ottawa because I've been a part of organizations like that uh, where losing is a tradition and it just oozes throughout that building and it is not fun. So I think that Bobby Ryan, Bobby Ryan could use a fresh start with a contender. That's going to be the key. I don't think he's going to want to go anywhere that's not a contender. And for me, the St. Louis Blues could be a great contender. Can you get him cheap? Uh, what did you say? One point five? Is that what the Blues can get him at right now? Well, they Bobby Ryan's owed owed eleven million dollars from Ottawa, so I don't know kind of what the money would look like for the St. Louis Blues angle. But let's hypothetically live in a world where they get this Alex Petrangelo deal done, and let's say it's around eight point three million dollars. Well, to get that done, you're going to have to open up more cap space by trading away a Tyler Bozak or Jaden Schwartz. So you're opening up another five and a half million dollars on top of the five point two that you already have. So, again, you're going to have to get Vince Dunn finished, but it looks like you know Corey Perry signed with the Dallas Stars for around $2 million for a one year. So, hypothetically, you could look at a Bobby Ryan and say, yeah, somewhere between $1 and $1.5 million, you could lock him up and have him play and be a top-nine forward for you. I mean, I, I like it. I like it for that reason. If you can get him for cheap, if you can get him around that kind of, you know, one one five two range where that's all that's coming off the books, or maybe that's all that's hurting against your cap. You know, to me, Alex, I, I think it could be a good signing. The other thing, the reason I like it, well, there's two reasons. Now, number one, quickly, uh, the power play. I mean, I think that the Blues can use a boost on the power play. You know, he's a left shot. Um, he plays on the left side. Uh, which is which is interesting because I think that the Blues still are desperate for kind of that that one timer position. So he plays on that left side, but he actually shoots right. So he's used to being on the left side. So think of where Vladimir Tarasenko plays on the power play. He kind of plays on that left side. He's on his off wing where he has to get it, collect it, and shoot it. Drives the fans crazy. 
drives Chris Kerber crazy, <laughs> drives me crazy. C- can we get a right-handed shot on that one that one area to start throwing some one-timer options in that? Even David Prawn said it best at the end of the season, without that one-timer threat, it, it just slows everything down. It's easy to defend. With the right shot forward on that left side where he typically plays five-on-five, five, get him out there in that power play. See what he can do. You know, if, if you get him in a good rhythm and, and Vladdy's out for three, four months, I mean, Bobby Ryan could score, you know, 10, 12 goals on that right side on the power play alone. Yeah. Let alone if you have him on as a top nine left winger, along with, let's say, Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron, if he's playing really well. Uh, but if he starts to slip a little bit, you always got him on that Robert Thomas third line. So uh, that's number one, power play. Number two, he's a terrific guy. Uh, I don't know him personally. I know many players that know him personally. Um, a terrific human being. I think he's been humbled uh, immensely over the last couple of years dealing with alcoholism, of course, um, owning up to it, seeking rehab, making a huge comeback for all the fans out there who want to know a little more about him. It was his first home game back in Ottawa after his rehab. Yep. Scores a hat trick. It was one of the most probably emotional games of the season for me this past year. Uh, but a tr- tremendous kid, uh, a wonderful human being, an incredible teammate. Uh, so I think the Blues have to look at all those things as well. What can he bring to the locker room? Can he spice things up? Can he keep things fun? Can he keep things light? If you're looking at a personality standpoint, Bobby Ryan, to me, Alex, he uh, he is the go-to guy. Yeah, well, I, and a couple of other things, too, on this, Joe. I mean, you got a guy who knows what winning atmosphere is about. He's never won a cup, but he was in Anaheim for all of those years when they were dominant forces in the postseason, of course, with Getzlav and Corey Perry. Uh, this was a guy who still produced in what Jamie Rivers calls the black hole that is the Ottawa Senators, because you think about it, his entire time in Ottawa, Joe, was one year of a Stanley Cup push, that year that they went to the Eastern Conference Finals, I believe, and lost. But other than that, it's been the bottom seat of every year in the Eastern Conference. But the part that gets me is the familiarity, at least with St. Louis. Now, I'm not saying he knows about the city of St. Louis or anything like that, but he did play in the Olympics when he won the silver medal on Team USA, which, of course, included a David Backus, a Kevin Shattenkirk, a TJ Oshie, and included an Alex Petrangelo on the Canadian side. So Bobby Ryan, at least, has had conversations about the city of St. Louis. I think that's where the reporting comes in from JR, talking about there is mutual interest there. But again, this all comes down to what the offseason looks like because it's going to be even more difficult if you do lock up Alex Petrangelo but I think with or without Petrangelo you are going to need an asset on the offensive side to help bridge that gap without Vladimir Tarasenko and Bobby Ryan's one of those guys that you said the Blues love a comeback story the Blues love players that kind of fly under the radar and I think Bobby Ryan matches all of those check marks for this team yeah big fan I mean again yeah without Without beating a dead horse, I am a big fan of it. I think it could be a great thing for this organization. Um, for Doug, uh, you know, I'm sure the last thing he wants to worry about right now uh, is, is Bobby Ryan because you, you said it best, Alex. It's It really is going to come down to Petro. What is Petro going to do? Because right. I think that is just going to completely shift everything uh, moving forward. So, geez. Buckle up because it's coming up. I know. I can't wait for it. Real quick, Joe, speaking of how crazy this offseason is going to be, look at the names that are being bought out by teams right now. I mean, just uh, today we found out that Henrik Lundqvist has been bought out by the New York Rangers, which I think a lot of us expected that. Uh, Bobby Ryan was another one of those names. But there are going to be some big names available that might not get tendered, that might get bought out, or that might get traded. I mean, your guy, your former teammate, Marc-Andre Fleury, could be on the move this season 
And then a guy like Corey Crawford, I know I'm labeling a lot of goaltenders here, but that seems to be the area of expertise for this offseason. I mean, Mark Lazarus from Chicago has been reporting that basically the Blackhawks told Corey Crawford, if you want to come back here, it's going to have to be on a really team-friendly deal. So we could be looking at a lot of big names on the market this season. You're going to see a lot of big names. Um, And I think that's just the fact that the GMs had no no reason at all to think that this cap would have stayed the same. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what shook everything up. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of uh, GMs like, like owners and everything, everyone across the league was just projecting the cap to continue to go up given the health of this league. So this is where, this is where I think a lot of big names are, are going to start coming up. I think that, you know, you mentioned the two goalies and those are the two that really stand out to me. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist, we knew that was coming. We talked to Joe Micheletti about this a few weeks ago mm-hmm. uh, on this show specifically. He's making too much money. With with the two young, talented goaltenders they have up and coming, it doesn't make any sense. Now the New York Islanders, man, excuse me, New York Rangers, they're gonna be they're gonna be a threat. They got money to go out and grab a free agent. Uh, they have two young goaltenders. They're going to have the number one overall pick, and they're already were a playoff team. So, uh, uh, to me, the New York Rangers are, are a big one. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury. I, I don't know what happens there. Do you keep him around one more year? I know I, I, I've sp- I've spoken to Mark Andre not about this specifically, but he loves Vegas, and I think he would like to stay there. Yeah. Um, can Vegas make it work where he can back up Leonard and they can make that cap situation doable and tolerable? With, with in the back of their minds, having Ron Francis in communication, knowing that in a year from then, they're going to free him up to Seattle expansion draft. Wouldn't that be something to see Marc-Andre Fleury in two expansion drafts? That's um, just, insane. You know, four or five years apart. So, you know, can they make that work? Uh, maybe, maybe not. It's just, I think he's making seven, seven or $8 million right now, which is a boatload for a backup. So it, it, it's going to be difficult. But, yeah, this, this is going to be an interesting one for all the reasons you just mentioned. But also the fact that these GMs do not have a ton of time moving forward because, as we mentioned in the last segment, uh, it's getting to be crunch time with the draft a week away and then free agency opening up October 9th. Uh, I wouldn't want to be in a GMC right now, although they make good money. <laughs> they make very good money. I'll take the money if that's uh, if that's a possibility. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. That'll do it for hour number one. Let's come back and talk a little possible bubble for next season. And you're going to hear from Jim Montgomery. Joey V had a conversation with his assistant coach when it comes to peewee hockey. Those two, you'll hear that chat in the next hour as well. Here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Hour number two here on a Wednesday night. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you every week. It's This Week in Hockey as we take you up to the beginning of the 2020-2021 season. Make sure I got that correct because 2020 has just been an insane in itself. But honestly, Joe, we could be talking about just a 2021 season when it comes to the return to play for the NHL. Now, Gary Bettman spoke at the Stanley Cup press conference before the final started and basically said it's right. It's up in the air right now. There are a lot of moving parts that still have to be decided, but the goal has always been to get this bad boy up on middle of December, but there's a real possibility that it could take until January when the season starts again. You know, I think that I think we're looking at more realistically January. December seems like a hard push. I mean, listen, we're in October already. Tampa Bay just landed. Dallas Stars just landed. Uh, and then you're going to tell me within eight weeks, Alex, we're going to be back to playing. I mean, that means they're going to be back in camp in six weeks, five oh. weeks. Like, you can't – you have to look at the teams that just won. You cannot give that team five, six weeks off and then have them returning to their club cities to have camp. I, I, I'm sorry, you just can't do that. And I know that I think they're pushing 
for sooner, hoping knowing that it's going to be backed up. But December 1 seems absolutely insane to me. I'm thinking more realistically January 1. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just because I'm a romantic, but that Minnesota-St. Louis Winter Classic game, that could be a sexy start there, Alex, for the season. That, that's what I was going to go with. I mean, how do you not start with January 1st of 2021, Winter Classic of those two teams? How do you not start a season like that? Because there's a couple of things. One, you're starting with the Winter Classic, and if you get fans in the stands, that's your best excuse to fill up the stadium, or at least as close to capacity as you can go, because you're outdoors, and that's what everyone has been saying. Well, it's different if it's indoors compared to outdoors. We have that opportunity. But the NHL can sell that perfectly, Joe, basically saying we are done with 2020. Let's start with 2021 and start a fresh new season in the NHL by beginning with the Winter Classic. I think it could be great, man. I mean, I, I would love it. I think it'd be great for the, for the for the game, for the city. And not to mention, Alex, we can spread everyone out, which would be kind of cool, don't you think? Yeah, well, that's the perfect way to do it. Although it sounds like uh, it sounds like Birdie does not agree with our our uh, decision on this. Listen, this is a pandemic, man, and we are we're going on the go. Everything's on the go right she, now. She, I got babies in the background. <laughs> we're trying to make this all jive. But she, she's mad at me. She does not want you to leave for Minnesota, and that's still two months away for all of this. Listen, we can make this work. Come here, Birdie. What do you think about the season? Come here. It's okay. It's okay. Oh yeah, she's good now. Okay, yeah, she's we're good, good now. now. Yeah, now we can do the she's now we do dad. the Winter Classic the way to start it. Well, Joe, let she, me ask. She, she did not like the Winter Classic starting the season. I, I said one thing, and she got all mad. She heard the why. word, and uh, that's when the tears started to come out. Let me tell you something. I'm going to be living this life in about six months. So that's right. You'll I'm going to know, know, know when baby girls like or don't like the options that you're throwing out there. Yeah, I hear you, man. I understand, Birdie. And, and it's a girl, and it's a girl. The thing is, you got a soft, you got a soft heart for them. I do. The softest heart in the world for them. Uh, that's, that's what makes it difficult. It's going to happen. But. Let me ask you this, Joe, because <laughs> yeah. we're hearing about the bubble possibility. Now, Frank Saravelli put this out of TSN yesterday, and again, you're basically throwing everything at the wall and hoping something sticks when the return of the 2021 season, if that's what it's going to be. The possibility of doing multiple bubbles. And what Frank Saravelli threw out there for the players was you play in a bubble for two weeks, wherever that may be, and then the players or teams get a week off to where they can be home with their family before they go back to another bubble and at least have that temporarily start the season. I don't know if the players are going to be on board with it. It sure as hell doesn't seem that way after the bubble we just saw in the responses. But that's at least what the NHL is talking about right now. You know, I think that a two-week road trip, I, I've always said eight days. Yeah. Eight days being on the road, that's when I'm like, I want to get home. Like, that's too much. I mean, and the Blues are lucky. They, they're located in, in a part of the country where uh, the majority of the road trips are, you know, three to five days at most. Uh, every now and then they'll have the week long and the week and a half long one. But eight days to me, Alex, is when players really start going crazy. So I, I'm going to keep going back to it. I don't know if the players are going to be cool with it. I just I don't see them being okay with being gone for two weeks, home for a week, and then gone again for two weeks. It's just it, – it's going to – this bubble thing, it's going to be a last resort. I've talked to enough players where they are they are still recovering. I'm talking about Blues players that lost, you know, in the first round. We're not even talking about the, the, the conference finals or the Stanley Cup finals. We're talking about players that lost in that first round or maybe lost the play-in. I mean, just that situation, just the, the yuckiness. I mean, yeah. the nose swab one day, then the mouth swab, then the nose and the mouth. It's just, you know, it, it, it didn't seem like life. It didn't seem like this is the way life is supposed to be 
lived. So uh, the bubble is is as interesting as that is, and as I guess a compromise that can be. Two weeks is a lot. I understand you're going to have a week home with your family, but to me, it doesn't guarantee safety, and it's just going to piss a lot of people off. And I still don't know um, what what it's going to look like. But at the, at the end of the day, they they got to figure out a way to get fans in the building because uh, revenue wise, this this is a sport that thrives off that. You can't have uh, money being generated with the sport unless you have people in that building. And I think that what we saw uh, from the fan standpoint, from a spectator standpoint, from a fan standpoint, you uh, you got to have people in those buildings because we, we, we've we seen, and we mentioned in the last segment, uh, you can't take this for granted anymore. These fans are as much part of this game as the players themselves. Yeah, it, totally. And that's why I think so many eyes are focused on the NFL and Major League Baseball right now. Now, there's differences there because a lot of those are outdoor stadiums. And then, of course, you have a little bit of a bubble when it comes to Major League Baseball playoffs. But uh, I'm interested in teams like the Dallas Cowboys, Joe, who, who is an indoor stadium, Jerry World in the NFL. You know, they've talked about putting fans in the stands for games upcoming. And that's a that's a closed arena that you're going to put fans in. And I think if that's successful, then the NHL can seriously look at it. Because at the end of the day, I agree. The only way you're going to have success moving forward is if the NHL takes a chance and tries to get fans back in the building. Bubble or not, you got to start to put put butts in the seats because otherwise you're going to continue to find yourself losing more and more money if you're the NHL. I thought you just said bubble butts. Bubble butt. Well, there may be some bubble butts in the seats. I mean, <laughs> I mean, everybody has bubble butts in the seats at some point, right? Love that song. You know, it, it's it's good for hockey because we have still the rest of the NFL season left. You know, there, there's going to be a little bit of soccer left. Yeah, we still got some postseason baseball. We'll see what happens there if, if that changes at all. There is time for some of these sports, and not just talking about the United States, but across the world. To work out kinks, to learn from from learn from things. I mean, you know, with with the Kansas City fans, you know, we're starting to see now. Were there any backlash effects of that? You know, and then with Dallas now closed, somebody has to take the jump. Someone's got to take a leap. Uh, we'll, we're never going to know unless someone tries. And I think for the hockey, the benefit now for hockey is that they are now in the off season and and they've done their part. They've proven that a bubble can work, and they have um, been basically. Uh, the test trial for the NFL and for the for the MLB and, and the NBA to some regard. And now it's kind of flipped. Uh, they've done their part. And now let's keep progressing this thing. And now they can be a spectator. Now they can watch. They can talk to, you know, Goodell and all the commissioners across the other major sports and see what they like, what don't they like. Um, but, but like the NHL took a risk, the, these NFL teams have got to take risk. And I think that what Jerry Jones is going to do down in Dallas is a great thing, uh, not just for sports, I think for the world. You know, I think I think for the world, for people to see that life can hopefully get back going here. Yeah. We're going to try it out. We're going to do it the best we can. Uh, and maybe let's keep our fingers crossed. Things work out well, and then we can keep ramping this thing up. Yeah, I love the idea of it, and I'm excited to see what the NHL comes up with. Bubble or not, which I don't think the players are going to be on board with for bubbles, um, you're looking forward to seeing the fans back in the stands at some point because, like it or not, that Stanley Cup final, it was great, but it did miss that uh, that fan reaction to the championship being won. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. Joe will come back and talk with Jim Montgomery, the new Blues assistant coach the former Dallas Stars head coach. He joins Joey V next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. 
Final time here on 101 ESPN this week in hockey before we get into some NBA Finals action. And, of course, the news a couple of weeks ago was the assistant coach hiring by the St. Louis Blues, and that's Jim Montgomery. Of course, Jim Montgomery spending last season and part of this season with the Dallas Stars before he dealt with uh, some substance abuse with alcohol. He was let go by Dallas in December. And then, of course, Rick Bornis took over and took the team to the Stanley Cup Final. But now Jim Montgomery, the former St. Louis Blue, is found a home back in St. Louis. He's on the coaching staff, and he's a little familiar with our buddy Joe Vitale. Joey V, you and I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. You may have lost an assistant coach when it comes to your peewee hockey coaching, so let's hear the conversation that you had with your former assistant coach, now assistant coach for the Blues, Jim Montgomery. Joe Vitale here, and I'm joined by former Kirkwood 10U coach of the Seals, and now current St. Louis Blues coach, assistant coach Jim Montgomery. Uh, Jim, thanks so much for being with us today, and we're going to have some fun having a little conversation. Joey, it's uh, great to be here. And, uh, you know, I did not know, I didn't get the notice yet from you via email that I'm officially uh, been kicked off your staff. Uh, about three weeks ago, we're starting our sport tryouts in Kirkwood. And I got this little pod. I got this little group of kids. And the head of the sport division calls me and says, hey, this is your group. Good luck. This is the practice plan, whatever. And you're going to have a guy named Jim Montgomery. He's going he's gonna to help you along. And this is before I knew you were back in town. And I go, okay, Jim Montgomery. So I fired off an email to Jim at Gmail or whatever the heck it was. And I said, hey, Jim, Joe, nice to meet you. This is my practice plan for the next three weeks. These are the drills I want to run. This is my philosophies. Bam, bam, bam. I laid it out thinking I know what I'm doing. And, you know, what did you do? Of course, you write me an email back and you say, uh, hey, Joe, it's, it's Jim. Good to see you again or good to hear from you again. Looking forward to working with you. And that practice plan sounds great. And boom, the lights just went off. I'm, of course, of course, of course coaching uh, the 10U Seals at Kirkwood with none other than the former Dallas Stars coach, now the St. Louis Blues coach, uh, Jim Montgomery. So I do apologize for throwing so much hockey philosophy and drills out your way when I did it. Well, I stole a bunch of them. And oddly enough, oh, you remember my son's Colin. And it was a Cole Montgomery that was on your team. So whoever gave you that we were working together was actually wrong. But now, fortunately, your daughter and my son are on the same team. So I get to push pucks for you now for good. What's more stressful for you? Completely different ends of the spectrum, but coaching NHL older players who make millions or, or coaching, let's say, 10-year-olds who are just learning how to play the game? Well, you know, uh, both um, are positives for each other. Uh, you're incredibly grateful for uh, how quickly players at the pro level assimilate what you're trying to teach. But at the same time, you get a great appreciation for the fundamentals and the basics and the patience you need that you use with the younger kids that you should also apply uh, when you're dealing with the big boys. Jim, I had to um, throw this out here too, because this is kind of what I'm going through on a personal level. Um, being home a lot for COVID, you mentioned it, uh, is your wife, uh, as ready to kill you as my wife is ready to kill me. A lot of time together, huh? My wife can't wait for us to give it, start hockey again so I can get on the road and get away. So she can <laughs> rule the roost as she sees fit, which is much better without me helping her out. Yeah, I'm going to try to extend the Zoom as long as I can because it's about the only free time I get today. Is there, is there a chore? Is there something you do around the house now that you're home a lot? Uh, that maybe you took for granted or your wife did or your wife took control over, but now you're doing more that you're like, God, I really hate doing that. 
I don't know if hate's a strong, it's a strong word, but <laughs> unloading the dishwasher is something I never did before uh, that I do now. I know you're a, a father and many young kids as well. And kids ask the best questions. So when I, when I was with these kids last night, picking them up at soccer, I said, hey, I'm going to talk to the Blues coach tomorrow. What would you guys like to ask uh, the Blues assistant coach? And so they started throwing out a bunch of questions and most of them were not appropriate, which I got to talk to their parents about uh, a little bit later. <laughs> But for the ones that were, I got a couple here for you. So we're just going to. Maybe you should look inwardly and why they're asking those questions from the questions <laughs> you asked them. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe the apple. Um, first one uh, from a young man last night. He wanted to know Have you ever been stung by a bee and did you cry? No, but I've used the excuse quite often for the weight I've put on since the playing days. <laughs> Favorite movie of all time? Usual suspects. Usual stuff are beautiful. Any comedies in your in your top five? Um, something about Mary. Uh, yeah, Slapshot, of course. The ones you mentioned, I'm I'm in the same category. I'm like the rated R, I like the the funny, the classics. Is there any movie you're really excited to have your kids watch with you when they become of age, or kind of right on the border of that age group? Yeah, I, I think Animal House with the boys. Um, <laughs> With the girls, I, I'd like to stick to the Disney movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good call. You know, it's actually funny. Uh, one of the kids asked, if you could be any Disney character for the day, what would you be? So what would you be if you could be any Disney character for one day? Donald Duck. Donald Duck? That, yes. No one would pick that. Why? I just love the way he talked. He always cracked me up. He was always the one doing the wrong thing. And he could skate. Just never could catch his three nephews. Uh, if you had to be attacked by one thing, a bear or a pack of hornets? Um, a bear. The hornets, uh, someone's going to get you. The bear, you might be able to escape. My, well, you're a, I feel like you've playing in Maine for four years. You're probably used to the black bears up there by now, right? Yeah, you know what it's like to lose to those black bears. So yeah, oh, hey, hey. <laughs> oh, oh, I set you up for that one. Yeah. That one hurt a little bit. All right, right <laughs> I got this is it. Yeah, uh, we, uh, we tied them my senior year, so that was uh, that was a big accomplishment for Northeastern. Well, that's because you had Greg Cronin who learned how to coach at Maine. So you know, <laughs> it, all, it all comes full circle. We could go on for thirty minutes about Greg Cronin. Um, what was it like playing with Paul Correa really quickly in Maine? I've always wanted to ask you about that because I've heard that he was a kid his freshman year. Just I heard he was in a zone mentally in a mental space zone that um, not many athletes ever reach. Yeah, I don't know if he's ever left that zone, to be honest. And I mean that um, with incredible respect. Uh, the most focused individual I was ever around. And then I think the it was the first time I'd played with so many great players. Keith Carney, Scott Pellerin, who played for the Blues you know, at Maine, uh, Dunham, Snow were great goaltenders. But when he stepped on the ice, it was the first time. It was like, wow. You know, I always wondered what it would be like to be on the ice with someone that is elite and a superstar at the NHL level. As soon as he stepped on the ice, you could see there was a big difference. And being a senior captain, I went right to the coach and said, I want him as my left winger. If I can have that authority coach. As a freshman, you picked him to be yours. Yeah, I'm, I'm kidding. I picked him. The coach made all those decisions. But, yeah, I was very fortunate that I was uh, able to center his line. But what's the pull for me? I've always, I've always, you know, you kids going to college, kids ask me all the time, 
Uh, you know, we have uh, Jack Caruso is probably the most recent kid from St. Louis. He's going to Denver, where I know you know very well. Uh, but Denver, and there's a little guy. Let's bring him up here. You know, a lot there of these. There we little, go. Who's this one? You say hi, Livy. It's Olivia. Say hi. Hey. Olivia. Like Olivia Newton-John. Is she named after the Grease character? No, she's not a named after. Her brother's named her at dinner one time. Is so, that right? Yeah. Who's your brother's names? Hmm? You don't what's know? A, uh, what's Olivia going to be for Halloween, Coach? Baby Shark. Coach, are you going to dress up for Halloween this year? I usually do, and this time I'll, I know I'm going to be able to uh, go with the kids. I haven't been able to uh, attend most of those times, but I don't know what I'm going at yet. You know, Captain Stubby, maybe. This is going to be kind of cool. Uh, I think a lot of players I talked to about this as well. I mean, Halloween and Thanksgiving with your family, that's, I mean, that's the unheard of. Not only with your family, but days before and days after, just relax. Like, you don't have the pressure to go to Washington, like you're saying, the Blues are at home the day after. You know what I mean? This, this has got to be a cool experience for you, who's been in the game during the fall for about his whole career. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be really exciting to be able to, um, you know, take part in Halloween, take them door to door. But Thanksgiving's my favorite uh, holiday. You know, it's, um, it's nothing about uh, having expectations. It's all about being grateful for being with family and for what you have. So that's going to be awesome. Um, but I don't know if the players would want to switch out, trade out their summers for <laughs> yeah. just Halloween and Thanksgiving. I hope they do because we got to go to work. Man, I can't tell you, I am looking forward to seeing what Jim brings to this team. A guy who, from all accounts and from what we're hearing of people who know Jim, he's a player's kind of guy. He cares about his players. He is one of the smartest hockey minds when it comes to head coaching. And this is a guy who knows how to help a team and get some of the youth going in the NHL, as we saw in his time in Dallas. So Jim Montgomery going to have a major effect on the St. Louis Blues team. I am uh, pretty sure about that one moving forward. So Joey V, as we wrap up, man, let me remind people that next Tuesday – we do have the NHL draft. October 6th is when the draft gets underway, and the Blues do have a first-round pick in that draft. And then, of course, October 9th, a week from Friday, is when free agency opens. So we'll see if the Blues get something done with Petro before that. And then uh, craziness starts once October 9th hits in the NHL. Joey V, thank you so much for your stuff today, buddy. Thank you to Hal Gill. If you missed the interviews or if you missed a conversation, the show, check it out on the podcast or 101ESPN.com this week in hockey. For Joe, I'm Alex. Thank you to Mike Ryder. We'll talk to you next week here on 101 ESPN.